Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Throughout most of the 500 million years since what scientists call the Cambrian Age, there's been a steady increase in the number of plants and animals on the planet. This, despite five mass extinction events, like the devastating one that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. But when humans left Africa about 60,000 years ago and spread out across the globe, other species began vanishing, slowly at first, and now with such speed that sociobiologist E.O. Wilson and others worry about a biological holocaust, a sixth mass extinction event, the only one caused not by some cataclysm, but by a single species, us. This is happening suddenly, as in Africa, where between 2010 and 2012, poachers slaughtered an estimated 100,000 elephants for their ivory. And it is happening slowly throughout the world through habitat destruction and degradation, and this is an unfortunate and inevitable consequence of economic growth? Or can we do something about it, something big, something radical? What if we could set aside half the planet as permanently protected for the 10 million other species and call the movement Half Earth? I like the idea a lot. But could this really happen? With me to talk about this very big picture species protection concept and to take a close look at what's happening to African elephants are Skipper Darlington and Ron Maxwell. Harry Skipper Darlington is founder and chairman of Africa SASAP, and he has been at the forefront of environmental movements for decades. Skipper is a pilot an innovator, he founded American ASAP to stop the horrific slaughter of elephants in Africa through his vision of a protective eye in the sky. Skipper, welcome. Ronald Maxwell is a film director and writer. His epic Civil War films, Gettysburg, Gods and Generals, and Copperhead, have established Ron as the cinema's leading interpreter of that complex, lethal, heroic period in American history. In addition to his highly regarded work in film, Ron is a seriously concerned citizen in the worldwide habitat and species protection movement. Ron, thanks for joining. Great to be with you, Bill. So Half Earth, big idea. Yeah, it's, as I've become aware of um, the, uh, the threats to uh, biodiversity to multiple species across the planet and, and met people like Skipper who are focused on uh, various uh, species that are under uh, imminent uh, threat of extinction, like the African elephant, but the elephant is just one of many. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, reading uh, Edward Wilson's book a few years ago, uh, for me, was a, uh, a ray of hope, because uh, w w as I've attended these conferences and, uh, and, and uh, meetings, uh, mostly across North America, although they're held ar around the world, uh, I'm always uh, having going through the dual emotions simultaneously. What, what, one uh, reaction is when, when you see people that are working in different areas 
the, the global destruction that's going on, mm -hmm. the catastrophe, uh, the, the habitat loss, the species destruction, you, one can't help but being overwhelmed with a feeling of despair uh, that, that uh, all is lost. But at the same time, uh, when you attend these conferences, you're meeting the people who have, who have not given up, the people who are committed to uh, saving the biodiversity, saving the species. And that, of course, uh, gives one hope that, that we can turn things around in time. Uh, so that when I read uh, Edward Wilson's uh, Half Earth concept. So you've got a copy of it right sure there. Do, yeah. it, this, uh, is, this came out in 2016. Yeah. Half Earth, our, our planets fight for life. Yeah, he, he, but he, the, the concept is, as you said in the introduction, uh, pretty simple, uh, but it's, what I like about it is that it's hopeful, because when you look at uh, the entire planet and what's going on, uh, and, and most of what's going on has to do with just human population growth, uh, yes, there are some species that are under a direct attack uh, f f by being shot or being uh, trapped or being poisoned, a lot of that is going on. But uh, the greater threat is just from the fact that uh, the wildlife is losing its habitat globally because of the, uh, the, the uh, destruction of uh, habitat by uh, growing human populations around the world. Well, to put a, put a number on it, if you look at the world population, it was about 2.5 billion in 1950, and now it's about 7 billion. And we can talk about where it's going. There's some optimism that it might be leveling off sooner than we think. But in Africa, Skipper, which is where you've been doing a lot of your work, it was 220 mil 221 million in 1950, and now it's uh, almost 1.1 billion. So that's a, that's almost a ten five times increase in Africa. And in Asia, we've seen it gone from go from 1.4 million to 5.2 million or 4.2 million. So the human population is putting tremendous pressure on these habitats, and that's primarily what's driving this, this, the, the habitat destruction. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and all these species, uh, they need adequate room because uh, the way that these, all the, the biodiversity of life has been going on for, uh, I think the number is 2.8 billion years. So it's taken 2.8 billion years to get the biodiversity we have in the world, and it's quite remarkable that just in the, in the span of a few human generations, it, a lot of it can be gone. I mean, there are some estimates that at the current rates, uh, by the end of the 21st century, uh, we, we could see uh, many of the species that are around us today uh, have, will have passed into extinction. And we ha have to remind ourselves, this is a one-way ticket. Once uh, the dodo bird is gone, it never comes back again. Once uh, a, a year and a half ago we lost a, a species of rhinoceros, it doesn't come back again. There's, there's no bringing it back. Well, the thing that struck me about this when you made me aware of Half Earth, and that was just last month, um, is an incredibly appealing idea. And E.O. Wilson had a concept, his word for it is biophilia, and that human beings have a natural affinity for the species and protecting species. It's not a. It's not like we want to prevail over everything and give. We want to keep them. And it seems to me like this is an idea that could become very popular once uh, once people watch our show. Well, yeah, I think most of what's going on is blind destruction. Uh, people are just doing what they've always done, uh, what yeah. hominids and, and our and our human ancestors have always done. We're wired, as uh, as E.O. Wilson writes in, in his book, Half Earth, we're wired as primates 
to take kind of one day at a time. We're not, we're not, we're just, it, that's how we've survived. And so we're not wired to look 10 years ahead or 100 years ahead to see what we're doing. Now, we're capable of doing it because we've got these, we're the homo sapiens, we're the smart animal. And, and we can have these kind of discussions and we can say, we, let's not do, continue to do what's destructive. Let's do other, take other choices so we don't destroy the world. But, uh, but we first have to start with an awareness because the average person, and I don't say this at all disparagingly, it's not their fault. The average person is not aware of the global destruction that's going on. Well, Skipper, in, in Africa, where we've gone from 220 million people in 1950 to about a billion one now, how, how, how have you seen this playing out there? Is it? Well, of course, the uh, biggest threat next to, to poaching is encroachment of uh, farmland into these uh, yeah. protected areas. And that's causing a huge uh, conflict. Um, and so, of course, the more people you have, the more and more of these uh, encounters, and sometimes they end up deadly encounters uh, occur. So the, the, the pushback that you get on this is that people say, well, look, this is a rich, rich person's issue. You can afford to think about this. You can afford to preserve uh, uh, habitat because you already have your wealth, whereas we're in Africa. We've got to feed ourselves. We've got all these extra people that, that, that you know, want a, want a better life. I mean, how do, you, how do you make the case if you're in Africa that this is a good well, idea? It's interesting. If you look what's happening in uh, Kenya today, uh, they've just banned uh, plastic bags, for example. Uh, I think it's a $40,000 fine if you use a plastic bag. Like when we go into giant wait, food wait. line. Did you, did you, a $40,000 $40, fine, fine for a plastic yeah. bag? Yeah. $40,000 fine. So uh, you, also with... Uh, and we're buying plastic bags for nickels here in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how many bags the average person use when they go into Giant or to, to Food Line? You know, they probably come out with six or seven. So, so I, I think that um, a lot of these, and, and also in Kenya, for example, uh, it's slightly uh, draconian, but now they're passing this law that uh, if you kill an elephant your poacher, you will be executed. So it's quite uh, draconian, uh, but they're certainly more aware of these issues, uh, I think, uh, than, uh, than we are generally. Though at the same time, uh, sometimes I'll give talks at uh, schools, and, and it's amazing you know, when you speak with kids of, of how aware they are of these things. And, um, so I, I see great, uh, great hope. As E.O. Wilson said, the earth is slowly turning green. It might be a very pale shade of green. Uh, but I think we really need to look at some of these countries in Africa and see what they're doing. This idea of um, this colonialism uh, attitude that, that we have towards Africa, um, this, this concept that I, I think is, is changing. I think there's much we can learn from these countries. Mm -hmm. Well, the, one of the things I learned and in, in, in learned about this is we now have around the world about 5,000 national parks and about 200,000 protected areas. But for the Hafer's concept to work, you need to have them connected to each other. And this is not something where you can have an island of habitat and expect that to uh, preserve the species. They don't. It shrinks. They need a corridor to go to other, other habitats. Yeah, I, I think the concept behind this 
is that um, the human population has grown so large, so fast, and is expansive, expanding so rapidly. Uh, there's so much destruction that in order to save the biodiversity, to save all these other species that are on the planet with us, we have to stop the encroachment. Uh, now, this, so it's a goal. Uh, right now, we're, uh, the uh, the land that's being taken away from nature, taken away from wilderness, is being is being it's it's exponentially getting worse every day. So, so the goal here is to save uh, at least the goal eventually to save half the planet. To say, just leave it alone. Don't touch it. Don't manage it. Just leave it alone, so that uh, so that the natural world can start to restore itself. And and I and this can be what I find attractive about this concept is that. While uh, governments may do it, or even while uh, coalitions of governments may agree to do this, it do we don't have to wait for such uh, big political events. We can do it in our own uh, backyards. If, we're, if we own our property, we can say, half of my one acre, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to have a lawn there. I'm going to let it grow in, in, in a wilderness so that the, the yeah. animals that live in my yeah. particular part of the world, whether they're squirrels or chipmunks or birds, whatever they are, turtles, they can find, again, a, a wilderness area where they can go back to, the, to, to being what, what they are in nature. Uh, a community can do it. A village can do it. A county can do it. Uh, and, uh, for instance, where we live, Bill, out in Rappahannock County, Virginia, we're one of the counties around the, a national park, which is Shenandoah National Park. So if the communities can say, let's take half of our, our land uh, and uh, volunt voluntarily uh, uh, not stop cutting down trees, because when we cut down even a grove of trees, we're destroying a habitat for certain bird species and mammal species uh, and reptile species. Every time we, we cut down a grove of trees, we're, we're moving in the wrong direction. And, but but it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset where we have to stop thinking, as uh, Wilson mentions, uh, stop looking at nature as a commodity. As, as Everything we see in nature, how can we turn it into dollars and cents? As long as we're on that, uh, taking that view, we're not going to get on top of this problem. We need to change our view and not to reduce it to a commodity, but to say it has an intrinsic value well, the I way th it is. I think that's the... To me, that's, the, that's an essential point. This has an intrinsic value. We talk about economic development growth. Having habitats and species protection is, has, does have value. I don't know if you put dollars on it particularly, but that has as much value as, as many other things we think of yeah, as I, economic. I think it has the greatest value, because if we look at w w why do we spend so much time in labor? Why do we spend so much time as entrepreneurs generating capital, making profits? The end result is to have a secure, good quality of life. Yeah. So, so why should we destroy our quality of life to try to gain the quality of life? We have to keep our mind on the long-range goal, not get so caught up in the short-range goal. Well, Wilson's short on the specifics, but he's very strong on the vision. He writes here, when this thing gets really going, You'll be so surrounded, so enveloped by connected corridors that you'll almost never not be in a national park, or at any rate in a landscape that leads to a national park. So it's a wonderful. All right, so there's our there's our vision. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could this could you know I think if we got the concept out there, this could obviously be a big factor in zoning laws, where anybody wants to do something, you put a half earth concept in there. And the developer has to add that into the calculation. Yeah, or at least talk about it. For instance, getting back to our county, and I think we live in a relatively speaking enlightened county. Uh, uh, I'll give you one concrete example of this. Uh, uh, my land is not developed. It's uh, it's I have uh, 75 acres of forest. 
Uh, so, m m the, and my neighbor is cutting everything down uh, on his property. He gets a tax break, an enormous tax break, but he has an incentive in the he's, county. He's timbering. Because he's taking the timber out. Yeah. Uh, I don't get the tax break, so I'm paying, in, without exaggeration, 10 times more taxes because I'm not cutting down my trees. So this, this is why this has to be completely rethought at all levels of government. Well, let's take North America. North America has three prim four primary habitats. There's the boreal forest, which is in Canada, and then there's the western wildway, which is in the, in the mountains uh, in the west. We have the Appalachian Valley, where you and I live, which is straight up down from Maine down almost to, uh, through to Georgia, Alabama. And we've got the Longleaf Pine Historic Range, which is right along the Atlantic, southeast Atlantic coastline. And it's already happening there. There's some entrepreneurs that are, that are pulling together what they call piney woods in the, in the American southeast. And the thing I didn't realize is that after the Civil War, because of the, the destitution there, they cut down 97% of the trees that were there. And now that's beginning to come back. But if you compare that 97% to, say, uh, what's happening to coral reefs, we've lost about 20% of our coral reefs. Yet... We're, st we're starting to see that habitat come back because people are buying up parcels, they're connecting parcels, and they're, they're making it happen. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is encouraging. That's a gentleman by the name of Davis has been doing it down. I think he grew up in, in the panhandle of Florida, and he realized uh, the destruction that had gone on, and, and he's, he bought up a lot of acreage like Ted Turner has done out yeah. west. And to save this, and, and, and I think another kind of uh, awareness where we can, we can help spread awareness is that when we cut down forests, um, we, we are also destroying the habitat of, of the multiplicity of species that, that live in the forest. And, and you can't just pick up a species and move it somewhere else. Every species on this planet evolved in a certain space, in a certain place, a certain topography, a certain climate, a certain uh, minerals and other animals it's intersecting with. It's a whole ecosystem that's in harmony. So when you cut down the forest, all those animals just don't move 100 miles away. Uh, uh, many individual animals die, but even more catastrophically, species die. So uh, because you're putting uh, more more species in competition for less space, and so if you start out with, if, let's say, 60 bird species, you destroy the forest, uh, a certain percentage, maybe as much as 30% of those bird species will be dead within 10 years because they don't have the, uh, the, the proper environment to, to reproduce and to, and to carry their genes into the future. So it, all these things are related. You can't take a thread out here without the whole fabric uh, unraveling. And what I think a lot of uh, our fellow humans don't understand is that we are one of the threads. And if you pull, as, so even if you're a person who doesn't care about wildlife, and there may be such people, do you care about your own species? Because the end result of these tearing out a thread here and a thread here is that Homo sapiens won't survive either, because we too are part of the web of life. So going from the, the big picture to a specific species and a real problem, Skipper, what you're doing in Africa um, with the African elephants, can you... Tell us about that. Well, um, as Ron was saying um, about uh, if you take out one species, it's not just that one species. You're affecting uh, multiple uh, species. And, and I think it's uh, never has it been more true with the African elephant. The African elephant is known as a keystone species. And the survival of uh, many other animals depend on the African elephant, for example, with their tusk. They dig watering holes. 
Um, they, of course, um, are known as the, the gardeners of Africa because they go in and they rip apart forests and allow for new growth and they spread seeds everywhere. So um, that's, I think. Sounds like we could use one out and wrap a hand. <laughs> we could, several. <laughs> several. So um, what our mission is at Africa ASAP, that uh, stands for Aerial Surveillance Against Poaching, is to uh, keep the elephants alive and more importantly, to protect these uh, habitats, these uh, vast uh, parks in Africa. And we think we have a much better way of doing that. Uh, traditionally, people have been using airplanes, helicopters, drones, and they've not been working very well. Um, what's needed is uh, near persistent surveillance over these parks. And it's difficult to do because many of these parks are the size of West Virginia, 20,000 square miles. Mm -hmm. So we've come up with a system. We have a remote-controlled airship, uh, like a Goodyear blimp, a bit smaller. It's 100 feet long. It has a camera on board, a million-dollar camera, and uh, various sensors. So we can cover, protect an area the size of West Virginia every 24 hours. So you're an aviator. Did you invent the system? Uh, well, airships have been around for a long time. Uh, what we've, what I've done is have put a couple layers of things mm -hmm. on. Uh, the the airship, for example, um, during World War II, when the U.S. Navy suffered its biggest defeat in history, uh, it wasn't Pearl Harbor where we lost uh, 90,000 tons of shipping. It was right off the coast of North Carolina and Virginia, where we lost four million tons of shipping in 1942. Now, the U.S. Navy responded with the appropriate technology. They built airships. They built 160 airships. And what's important about this is by the end of 1942, Admiral Donitz in Germany recalled every single one of his U-boats back to Germany. And what this did, it allowed us to free up our shipping so we could cross the Atlantic, get to the U.K., and uh, get our supplies there. Now, the... Airship, what's really key is of the 79,000 boats that the airship protected, uh, only one boat was lost. And of the uh, 40,000 missions that the airships flew, they only lost one airship. Hmm. And actually, everybody got off that airship except for one poor fellow who was eaten by a, a Mako shark. Um, so um, it's... And why this was effective, it was effective so, because... So you took this concept to, to protect ships, and you're now using right, it to protect it, it, elephants. It's, and deterrence is huge in this. You see, the German U-boat captain, he would see a convoy uh, of boats, and if there was one airship over it, he knew he could maybe sink one ship or two, but he was dead. He was finished, because the airship would come fly over him. The airship had on, under it a something called a magnetometer, which could spot a big hunk of metal in the ocean. Yeah. And the U-boat could only travel for 70 miles. It would have to surface, right? And so the airship could stay over him for days. So it, that's why the air sh all the submarines were recalled to Germany, because it was, uh, it was a battle that they, they, could, they couldn't win. So how does this apply to elephants in Africa? Well, it's number one. Um, we're able to survey, protect an area the size of West Virginia every, you know, 24 hours. Uh, so we're able to spot the poachers before they kill the elephants. Mm -hmm. See, right now, a lot of effort is being done on, okay, well, 
you know, what do we do with the dead parts of the elephant, the ivory? Do we crush it? Do we burn it? Um, of course, it's good to do that for awareness. On the other hand, you have the poacher saying, yay, burn some more ivory, because, you know, the less ivory there is, uh, you're driving up the price of the dirty guy. Simple yeah. your economics yeah. Yeah. 101. Sure. Uh, so our focus is to keep the elephants alive, and uh, by getting the ranger, see, he only needs one thing. He needs actionable intelligence. He needs to know where the elephants are, where the poachers are, and uh, to uh, to be between the elephant and the poacher with intelligence that keeps him safe, the elephants alive, and also the poachers. Some of the poachers don't want to be there. Sometimes you'll have a poacher in a park and uh, his parents are being held by some very bad guys who will tell the kid, okay, you go shoot me an elephant or I'm going to kill your parents. Mm -hmm. So it's really about uh, these airships, it's about protecting life. And this, and, and this is a very big issue. We had a couple million elephants in Africa back when, and now we're down to 500,000? Uh, I think that's a little inflated, that number. Uh, Not even that it, many. It's more like uh, 400,000, perhaps a little bit less. And you touched on it, but this is, a, this is a big, serious, dangerous business, this business of poaching. And you had personal experience with uh, the dangers. Yes, the uh, folks behind this are highly organized uh, Asian gangsters for the most part. And uh, for example, um, in Tanzania, in Roja National Park, Tanzania's largest national park, in 2014, um, in one year, they lost 11,600 elephants. So this is industrial-scale killing. This is not a poacher shooting an elephant to buy, I guess, a money to buy his wife a dress. This is industrial-scale poaching. And that money, the bulk of it, is not staying in Africa. And you had lost a partner to this. Yes. Uh, uh, our partner and dear friend, uh, we were just canoeing down the Shenandoah River a little bit before this happened together, uh, Wayne Lauder, who uh, really is responsible for turning the situation around in Tanzania with this group that he formed called the National and Transnational Serious Crimes Unit. And he, uh, for example, um, uh, is responsible for catching this, um, or the, as he would say, his, his group, the National and Transnational Serious Crimes Unit, for capturing the Queen of Ivory um, that uh, was the first time a Chinese has ever been put in prison. And I'm very happy to... The to head poacher was a woman. Yeah. The Queen yeah, of Ivory. Queen of Ivory. She, she right. came over in the 70s when the Chinese were building the uh, railroad. Sure. And part of the infrastructure in Dar es Salaam, she owned the biggest restaurant in Dar. Uh, she was head of the Chinese Tanzanian, uh, their equivalent to the and Chamber the Chinese of Commerce. And the Chinese want the ivory, do they, do they burn, grind it down into the dust, the powder, what are, no, how do they it, use it? No, it, well, the, the, the ivory has officially has been banned in China now, uh, not yeah. Hong Kong, though, which is uh, experiencing a very active ivory trade. Um, so there was, you know, huge demand in, in China, and uh, now it's gone underground, of course. Uh, there's still a demand. It's uh, 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 being sold uh, illegally. What do they use it for? Through. Oh, um, for... Um, Carving uh, for decoration, uh, you have uh, artifacts. A lot well, of Chinese. Well, the are, rhinoceros horns are used as aphrodisiacs. And oh, cure for cancer, 
host of yeah. Host so of this things. is not a medicinal trade. This no, is no, this is strictly. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of you have a rising Chinese middle class. They're kind of looking for some way to connect with their past. So, so, Ivory seems to be part of that. So we were talking about your partner, though. Yes. You lost your partner. Yes, yeah. He was um, assassinated um, in uh, 2017 in, uh, in September um, because he was uh, going, after the, uh, going after the money, going after the folks who were behind the trade. He was catching about 80 poachers a month also on the ground. Hmm. And but you see, he was all intelligence based. Um, he believed that uh, you need to have just good policing and good intelligence. Uh, if I could relate to your story, what, what got him going uh, first was back in in 2014. As I mentioned, Ruaha National Park that lost 11,600 elephants in this one year. Tanzania's largest national park. I got a call from Wayne over Christmas, and he said, Skip, I'm about to go into Ruaha. There are uh, some terrible things that are going on there. Uh, I can't really talk about it, but I'll you know, uh, call you when, when uh, you'll be hearing stuff in the press. So what he did, he went into Ruaha National Park. There have been 90 very uh, bad guys who'd camped there. They had automatic weapons, um, uh, light artillery, chainsaws. And they were going and camping for three, four months at a time and killing elephants. You know, to kill that many, you have to have some sort of a production going on. Mm -hmm. He captured all 90 without even one injury. They were brought in through a Pentecostal church. And um, so uh, basically put the word out, if you arrive at the Pentecostal church the next day, you'll receive sort of the equivalent of a green card. Of course, these guys, they left their guns at home. They arrive in church. And they're arrested. Uh, I think it's about 40 were uh, put in jail and the rest uh, deported. So intelligence-based operations, you know, we're not talking about people going in with guns and killing poachers. Uh, we have respect for the, the life of the, the elephants, of the poachers, of the habitat. Mm -hmm. the, were the uh, murderers found? Uh, they've arrested eight so far. Yeah. And um, there'll, there'll be more. Uh, this was not a, um, this was, again, like the poaching trade, it was the highly organized uh, gangsters were. were and what happened this. to your friend, exactly? He was uh, coming back, uh, he'd flown in from uh, Ruaha to, uh, to Dar, and coming back from the airport, he was followed from Ruaha, and um, the taxi was stopped at, uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night, and he was... Uh, uh, another car pulled in front of him, and guys got out, opened up the door, shot him. They stole his laptop, and uh, fortunately, he'd received some funding from, um, I believe it was Fish and Wildlife uh, before, so the U.S. became involved in his investigation, and I think uh, it's probably helped it along. Hmm. Well, I'd like to continue this conversation. We've run out of our time in the regular show. Could you guys stay for an after, after show talk? Where do we find you? This is Africa, ASAP.org? AFRICAASAP.org. Dot .org. Yes, dot org. And if people want to get involved in this, contact you, and Please. you can be reached at 540-687-1033, AFRICAASAP.org, and it's Skipper D at AFRICAASAP. Okay, we'll put that on the on our, on our information. <laughs> and Ron, you're, you're uh, 
I'm so impressed with what you're doing with this. I was thinking of you as a filmmaker, and I didn't realize that you were actually working on saving the planet. In <laughs> well, well, again, going back to Wilson, is the encouraging thing, and for all those who are listening to us now, is that uh, anybody can do this. You can do it in your backyard, in your community. You can say, I'm half Earth. Now, if you want to be more ambitious and take 100% of your property and turn it into wilderness, God bless you. But, but the idea of taking half of whatever we have and protecting it, uh, to re letting it, just letting it be wild, letting it go wild. I mean, it, why does it have to be a lawn? Let, let it turn into a meadow. There's all sorts of things we can do. Uh, but, you know, getting back to what, uh, to what Skipper was talking about, uh, it, it, it shows you that there, um, this pressure from uh, human uh, expansion uh, it, it manifests itself in different ways, and the most uh, hideous manifestation are these transnational gangs. Uh, now, the transnational gangs, I mean, I think what Skipper's done and his, uh, and his, and his wife and other people that have been what I call the frontline troops, they're really putting themselves, as the story we just heard, in harm's way. Because if you mess with these people, this, this is huge amounts of money involved. It's all illegal. It's all, it's, and the same people behind it, the people behind this, these transnational gangs who are, who are killing elephants, killing rhinoceroses, also uh, uh, kidnapping monkeys and all sorts of other species that they're selling. Everything is reduced to trade in this, in this, in this environment. Uh, uh, it's a dangerous business. And it's the same gangs who are doing this are also the, tra the traffickers in children, in sex trafficking, in human trafficking, in uranium trafficking, in, in weapons trafficking. Uh, they're, they're in business with the uh, is Islamist uh, uh, gangs in Africa. Uh, and so when I was thinking this thing through, I said, yes, at, at one level, we can do only what we can do. Uh, in our own backyard, so to speak, as Voltaire wrote in Candide. But also, how do we get our arms around this larger issue? So I, uh, again, doing what we can do, uh, I, I called my, uh, my good buddy Jeff Sessions, who at the time was still the Attorney General of the United States. Uh, and um, I had a discussion with my wife beforehand, and I said, Karen, do I really want to bother the Attorney General of the United States about species destruction? He's got a lot on his mind. And she said, yeah, I mean, so I called him up, uh, again, the way you can call a good friend, and I said, uh, uh, and this was in a, a conversation with the Attorney General uh, last summer, and I said, uh, Jeff, are you aware that the, um, at the current rate of slaughter, the African elephant is going to be extinct within seven years? I mean, the African elephant and Homo sapiens have been around for <laughs> forever, and on our watch, we're going to let this happen? And I pointed out to him, I thought he might know it, but never assume anything I've learned. I pointed out to him that the people that are behind this destruction are the same people who are behind uh, the transnational gangs that are moving drugs and, uh, and, and, and uh, narcotics and uh, human trafficking into the United States and across the globe. Well, of course he knew this. Of course he knew this because he's got very competent people reporting to him. And he said, Ron, what can I do? I said, the only the only people who can stop yeah. these transnational yeah. games are governments. And, and this is an, an opportunity for the United States of America, which is the preeminent, we're still the, the country that can get things done. Let's get things done for our own nation and for, for the globe. And he was, came totally on board, mm. and he, he put the whole weight of the D Department of Justice uh, going after these transnational gangs, specifically to stop the slaughter of elephants, but also uh, in all the other ways that, that, that they're impact, negatively impacting uh, our own country and other, and, and other uh, countries around the world. Well, let's continue the conversation in the after show. Thank you for that 
that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised and, and, and delighted Jeff Sessions was so involved. I think our next step is uh, Mr. Trump, and uh, we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. So anyway, thanks for joining us, and uh, I hope you'll join us in the after show segment where we dig into this some more. And uh, if not, we'll see you uh, and talk with you at our next time, next show. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.